I am all excited. This is my fourth week uh, preaching, filling in as interim minister, and it's the first one without a winter storm warning. So that was nice. Everybody that wants to can get out and make it to church and so forth. Yesterday was one of the great moments in the history of organized sports and even really unorganized sports. We were finishing up our, our uh, upward basketball season. That was the eighth week. And uh, I helped coach a little girls team like, uh, I think they're eight and nine, maybe something like that. And they, of course, are varying degrees of, you know, how good they are and what, what skills they know at that age and so forth. And, and I didn't know this at the start, but they even rank them. They give them scores. And that's so that they can make the teams even of having the same better players, medium players, and players that, you know, haven't done, learned much and, and so forth. And so we got down to the last two or three weeks of the season, and we had a little girl on our team, and she's young for our age anyway. And then she, I think she's small for whatever age she is. And, of course, our baskets are lowered for that to, I think, about nine feet. They're at least a foot low. And, and this little girl, even when she's all alone and just right by the basket, just, just isn't quite strong enough hardly even to get it up to the rim. But our goal the last two or three weeks was to make sure everybody got a bat, at least one basket during the season. And it, I just didn't know if this was going to happen. Because like I said, she's young and she's little and she's just not strong enough to do that. Now she's little fireball, you know, when the ball changes hands and possession, she'll be the first one to race up and down the court and all that. But So a couple weeks ago, we developed this play where if we get it out under our basket, the basket we're shooting for, and she's in, she's right there, kind of right beneath the side of the basket, and all the other players, the other three that are in there, there's one throwing the ball in, kind of stand around there, her with their backs to her and kind of guard her and keep the other team from getting on her. And they have to stand a little ways away because she's little, you know, and they wouldn't be able to pass it to her. So we did two or three things yesterday and nothing worked out. And with three and a half minutes left in the season, I mean, we played hundreds of hours or it seemed like a basketball, no basket. And with three and a half minutes left in the season, we called the play, and their teammates surrounded her, and the inbound girl threw the ball high up in the air, and it went down right in the middle of our team, and the girl caught it and threw it up, and swish, went right through, and the place just went bananas. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was the coolest thing. And that's what you get, and I said this before a few weeks ago, the thing I just love about Upward is that not every bit of the time, because as they get older, it gets um, certainly more competitive as the kids get better and so forth. But a lot of the time, both teams, both sets of parents and all that, you know, of, of, uh, in many times the whole gym, if they know a situation like that is going on, are cheering for everybody, even people on the other team. And we get to where we don't do that, do we? I saw one yesterday I have been wanting to see for decades, decades. And I understand all the arguments against it, but I don't accept them. As we get older in organized sports, 
certainly middle school, high school, college, professional. Remember when a foul was called on somebody, if you're old enough, and you used to have to hold up your hand, acknowledge that you committed the foul. Whether you wanted to or believed it or not, you held up your hand. And that's so the scorer's table could see that, who did it. Okay, that's gone. Nowadays, when the ball goes out of bounds around somebody, and everybody acts like it wasn't them, and the referee makes a call, I would just love for one time, one time, an athlete now to step forward and say, that was out on me. Now, that's the honest thing to do, isn't it? If we act like it's not out on us, and the argument is, well, they're just being competitive and all that kind of thing. Well, yeah, but I I don't know. That's kind of a gray area to me. Eric Jamison, he and his wife kind of helped head the league yesterday, um, asked one of the kids during the game, who was that out on? And the little girl said, that was out on me. I was so proud of her. She hadn't learned from us yet, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, boy. Along that line, we're going to talk about this morning the church making a difference in our culture. The church making a difference in our culture. And we're finishing out uh, four weeks of uh, looking at the idea of making a difference. Remember Jude 22, have compassion, making a difference. So if we have compassion... That helps to make a difference in people's lives, and that difference, we hope, because it it should be true of us, that difference in their lives, in our lives, is the presence of God, of Jesus Christ. So the church making a difference in our culture. Uh, You might, in preparation, turn to Acts chapter 17, and midway through the chapter, starting with verse 16, we're going to look at... uh, the beginning of this time that the Apostle Paul visited the city of Athens. And remember, as we get ready to look at that, that we can't make a difference without being different. Christ is in our lives, we're different, and then he invites us to make a difference. Now that isn't automatic. It seems to me like it should be, like it would be, but that isn't automatic. We talked last Lord's Day about Jesus being with almost constantly, at least pretty consistently, being with a group of his closest followers for about three years. And certainly most of them, their lives were radically changed for the better. There's no better example of that probably than Peter and all the brash things he did and said and all that kind of thing, but then becoming totally sold out for Jesus Christ. Right up to it, even if it cost him his life. However, there's also on the other side of the coin, the the Thomas, doubting Thomas. And somehow he resisted that. And his life was not changed. He continued during that three-year period with Jesus of being dishonest. And then he ultimately betrayed Jesus. So it's not automatic. Making a difference in the church, making a difference in our culture. 
I want to read from Acts chapter 17 and beginning with verse 16. And, and again, this is the Apostle Paul um, visiting Athens. And, and this part kind of is almost accidental, but we know it's not. While Paul was waiting for them, and that's Sil- Silas and Timothy, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as reasoning in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him, and that's what Athens was at that time probably most famous for. Uh, learned people going there to, to reason, to debate, things like that. Kind of an intellectual type of atmosphere in the city. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now I look at that and I think, uh, foreign gods to Christianity, this is the opposite. They have their idea, as you'll see in a moment, of, of the gods, and Paul's advocating Jehovah God, and, and specifically Jesus being resurrected from the dead, and to them, those were the foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took Paul and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, we'd like to know, or may we know, what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas. Here it is, Christianity is the strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. And he he starts and lays out um, history and, and the idea about Jehovah God and then Jesus being resurrected from the dead and that personal salvation that God wanted them to have. Now, as we talk about the church making a difference in our culture, I want to talk about a couple of things, how we need to ask for discernment. And then that will help us to make a difference. We've talked a little bit about Athens, and and, um, it seems to be there that Paul was just there almost accidentally, almost coincidentally, was waiting for, um, for, for traveling companions, for Christian companions, And while he waited, these events took place. It says that he walked around the city. He noticed that the city was full of idols. He even commented that it was very religious, and they even had an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now, several people have speculated that the idea there was they wanted to make sure they covered every possible God and left nothing, no one, God-wise, out. So they're covering all their religious bases there. Paul knew, rather, they were missing the real God. They were worshiping the wrong gods and really no gods. 
Verse 16, it says that Paul was greatly distressed about what he saw, about what he observed. One of the important questions this morning is this. Are we distressed about what we see around us in our culture? The things that are ungodly, the things that are anti God. He wanted these people, just like he wanted all peoples, to know about the real God. He wanted them to receive, to have the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So are we distressed about the idols in our culture? Or do we even notice? I know we do at first. Or maybe I'm just talking about me. And sometimes for a while, have we walked around lately like Paul did with our eyes and our hearts open? I love that line out of the song, the chorus we sang last week. And of course it's a prayer. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Do we even notice, much less have our hearts broken by what breaks God's heart in our culture? The answer there, first of all, is for us to have discernment. And discernment, spiritual discernment, is something we need to ask for. I don't know if you're very familiar with this concept, but it's very biblical, very biblical. It's found a number of times in Scripture, especially that word, and it's simply trying to distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil, in a spiritual sense. Now, I've been using visual aids lately. I thought I'd bring one this morning. Now, if we, if we uh, let's say, and this is something we can all identify with. I want to use that as a bridge to something that is trickier. And it's divine. So you don't just get it. You have to ask for it. Okay? Now, we want to have a salad. Right? Now, being a guy, I'm not real big on salads, but if you put enough ranch on anything, it's okay. Okay? Now, you start doing that, the tangerine business and the raspberries and the walnuts and the pecans. That's more like a fruit salad. You know, that's gone. So we want to make a salad, and we want something nice and green, okay? A good green lettuce for our salad. We look at that, and we think, that's okay. Maybe we pull some out, and we go, ooh, that's not so good. I, I really am probably not going to eat a salad that looks like that, okay? I really don't want that. Now... We go to make a sandwich, maybe. Salad's out. We're going to make a sandwich. We get a good piece of bread, okay? We like that. How about we go to get the bread that looks like this? Oh, probably not. Now, on Sundays, we always have a big Sunday family dinner, and anybody that's around... 
uh, family wise usually comes to our house and eats. But Sunday night, there's no cooking. You don't cook on Sunday night, you just get leftovers. Now, I promise you, my wife does not like wasting anything. She's going to say to me tonight, Dan, where was that bread you used this morning in church? For my sandwich. You know, you put enough mayo on anything and you can cover it up and all that kind of thing. But we get something like that and we're going, you know, that's not going to get it. I, I recognize the difference. Here's a good piece of bread. Here's moldy, bad bread. I really don't want to eat. Do any of you old enough to remember Nipsey Russell? He, he said, roses are red, violets are blue. If they can make penicillin out of mold, they can surely make something out of you. That's right there, isn't it? Or maybe we want fruit, good apple. I didn't leave, I forgot to leave these out last night. So the apples, if you leave them out very long at all, they kind of start turning like that. And that makes us kind of turn up our nose, doesn't it? So that's a physical example. But what if we get into the spiritual realm? And there's tons of illustrations of this. There's Christian romance novels that, that have, have people fall in love and all that, and then there's ones that aren't so Christian that have very explicit details in them. For the guys, 51 weeks a year we get Sports Illustrated and we eat that up, and then one week a year in February they do the swimsuit model, and maybe that's not as healthy spiritually for us. There's tons of examples of that, all the way from video games to shows we watch to movies to on and on and on. And it goes from just knowing the difference between something physically into another arena of knowing the difference spiritually. And that's exactly what spiritual discernment is. And again, you don't just have that. Now, there's some, some spillover there in relationship between that and our God-given conscience, which we all start out having. But this goes further than that. Much further. In uh, the book of, of um, 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9, we're talking about asking for discernment. So that you know the difference between what's right, what's wrong, between what's good, between what's evil. In 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9, King Solomon, as he was becoming king, asked God, so please give your servant a discerning heart. Now part of that was to govern your people. But he also said to distinguish between right and wrong. Now, I don't know why there would be a difference between us and Solomon. I don't know. I don't think there would be. I think God wants us to ask him for a spirit of discernment so that we recognize what's good, what's not good, what's right, what's rotten. Verse 12b there, 1 Kings chapter 3. God, this time, to Solomon, I will give you a wise and discerning heart. It's not a thing we often pray for. 
pray for other people, for their health, for situations. We don't a lot of times pray for ourselves, at least in this sense, but it's an important thing that we pray for a wise and discerning heart so that God will show us, so that we will know the difference between right and wrong, between good and bad as we walk around the city. Now, you can't just have that and keep that. You have to use that. We use that. We ask for discernment to make a difference. We Christians. We church. In our culture. How do we do that? How do we make a difference when we can't put it on government buildings anymore or speak it in the classrooms like we used to be able to do or whatever, on and on and on. You can see right there, it says this several times, that whenever Paul got the chance, whenever he got the opportunity, he talked about God. We have to be ready when God gives us those opportunities because if he gives us that spirit of discernment, he's going to give us opportunities We have to be ready to talk about God. Wherever he went, he noticed what was going on. That's part of that spirit of discernment, opening our eyes, opening our heart to see what's going on and going against God. Back in Acts chapter 17 and verse 32 Paul helped people find Christ just by being that way. It says there at the end of that section, at the end of that chapter, um, a few men became followers of Paul, and they mean of Christ, of course, and believed. And among them, and they, they uh, gave some names there and references to others. It is not about what we believe. I know you hear that if somebody's standing up for it. They say, well, I believe this. It's not about what we believe. It's what, about what the Bible says, what God says. That's what we fall back on. It's not even about the religious freedoms we have in the Constitution. It's about right and wrong in God's Word. That's why we need to be spiritually discerning to make a difference in our culture. Now, we're going to pray and stand and sing and then pray in just a moment. And Please use this time as an opportunity to do that uh, where you're at. And not just a one-time thing, but be conscious of this. Hey, we need to, it's, it's more and more and more important as culture wants Christians to cover up their discernment, their conscience, and be quiet about it. It's more and more important that we invite God to give us that spirit of discernment so that we recognize the difference between right and wrong because that is sometimes very, very blurred. And then invite God to use us to make a difference in our culture. Let's stand and sing together. If you have a decision to make, we invite you to come and also to pray about this where you are.